Wow. <laughs> Thanks, guys. And what an important message that we have about the, the hope that we have in Christ and the sense of heaven that He brings to us right now in the real everyday stuff we have to deal with all the time. So thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Bam. Thank you, uh, Kristen Thompson, for the images that helped us to get that even better with more clarity. I'm going to share a few thoughts with you today from the New Testament, and I encourage you to get a Bible and open it up to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, sometimes uh, we just open our Bible and kind of thumb our way through until we find the book. It's also helpful to just go right to the table of contents at the beginning, find where Ephesians is, and go to that page. In, in any case, please join us by looking at Ephesians, and we'll be in chapter 2 and verse 11 in just a moment. We're in the middle of a series of uh, thoughts from Ephesians that we're calling How to Follow Christ. That there's an app for that, uh, thinking along the lines of what's been happening with the uh, smartphone craze here in recent months and years. In fact, I just read an article this past week about how so many uh, companies are feeling like uh, they don't even know what kind of app they might need for their company. They just feel like they've got to get an app out there because that's like the number one uh, publicity and promotional vehicle for companies uh, these days. And so, uh, as we've mentioned, there are over 300,000 different apps that people can use, and there's only going to be uh, thousands of more coming as uh, all the latecomers are trying to get uh, an app for your use uh, their services or their product in some kind of way. For those of you that don't get into all that, you're like, I, what's, what's the deal about that? Well, just imagine that you just bought a print and you took it to a frame shop and you got a frame and now you have picked it up from the framer and you've taken it to your office and you want to hang it on your office wall. And so you get the little hook and you put that up on the wall and you hang your new framed print and you're pleased with that. It looks good. But then you kind of step back and you go, gosh, that looks like it might be a little crooked. I wonder if that's a little crooked. I wish I had my level with me. Oh, I've got my phone. And you hit the app for a level and the little bubble pops up in there and you can put it on top of your frame and you can get your frame just so. How crazy is that? Somebody says, well, you know, I was in Pizza Hut the other night and I wanted to to uh, order my pizza and I was looking at the table over next to me and they had these coupons and it looked like they were going to save a lot of money with these coupons. And I'm like, man, I wish I had a coupon that I was going to save some bucks with. And then you go, oh, I've got an app for that. And you hit an app and sure enough, there are Pizza Hut coupons that are available to you over the internet and uh, you can show that to them digitally and Pizza Hut accepts that. My apologies to Mark Smith for mentioning Pizza Hut. But... <laughs> He's on the road. <laughs> and you won't tell, will you? We could go on and on about that, but let's get it down to what we're talking about today. Who needs a little hope? Wouldn't it be great if there was an app for hope, for a connection with God that so revolutionized, so transformed us, that even in the most challenging hopeless circumstances, we have a sense of hope. Well, there is an app for that. And as we've been pointing out over these weeks, it's Jesus. 
Now, to again be clear, we're not talking about Jesus like some genie in a bottle or like some little button that you can press on an electronic gadget. We're talking about the Savior of those who have now found hope in God. And so uh, what we're going to be talking about today and what we're going to be inviting you to, we're going to be talking about how Christ works in us and around us in these ways that stir hope. Need some of that? Ready to go there? So we're going to be talking about how to excess hope, and we're going to do that with our reading out of Ephesians chapter 2. So if you've got that ready to go, pick it up at verse 11. Therefore, Paul says, therefore meaning a lot has already preceded these comments. So again, reminding you, Paul, an apostle who planted churches all over the ancient world, had been uh, instrumental in churches being developed in this ancient megacity, Ephesus. And about five years later, he's writing this letter to them to encourage them in their faith and to instruct and guide them in following Christ. He's already said a lot about that. Verse 11, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, we've got several verses we're going to read, but I'm going to stop there because, as is Paul's habit, his sentences go on for a very long time and they get a little convoluted and we get lost along the way. So what did he just say? Well, first of all, he said, uh, now remember, you Gentiles who had a nickname, what was their nickname? It's, it's a real pleasant nickname. The uncircumcision. I love that nickname, don't you? And uh, by whom were they referred to? As the uncircumcision, they were referred to that by another group who had a nickname, the circumcision. I'm not even going there, okay? The, the whole point was uh, both Jew and Gentile were at one point outside of Christ and outside of an intimate relationship with God that provided all kinds of benefit and blessing. Paul's exhortation at this point is you've got to remember what it was like before you came to Christ. You've got to remember what it was like when you had no hope. Can you remember that? Can you remember what it was like for you before you came to Christ, before he began to generate that hope within you? Listen, I came from a pretty sick Family, a very dysfunctional. I mean, we had dysfunction just flying around the room all the time in my family. And uh, one of the ways that we navigated our way through that was with anger. And so we would just kind of rail and rage on people all the time. Whoever was the most angry won. Whoever could sustain the anger the longest won. And so that's, that's kind of the way that my whole early family system worked. And uh, you began to take that outside of your family system and 
and do that at school or do that in workplaces or in peer groups and things like that, uh, you, you get mixed results with that. It doesn't always work for you. And so then you begin to learn other kinds of little coping techniques, right? And so you press the app for image, impression. You press the app for accomplishment. You press the app for uh, achievement, trophies, accolades. And none of these things satisfy. I, I spent, I don't know how many years, trying to impress teachers, trying to impress coaches, trying to impress my, fam- my uh, friends and uh, people outside of my family, trying to impress girls. Uh, I spent all this time image building and impression making and uh, when it went sideways with me, raging and railing on people, I was a mess. I was confused. I was without hope. And then one day, literally, there was a knock at my door. Saturday morning in November. And I went to the door and I opened the door and there stood a guy that I didn't really know, but I recognized him. He was a basketball referee who refereed the high school games that my team played. And he introduced himself and asked if he could come in. And before I knew what I was doing, I said sure and invited him in. I didn't have any idea why he was there and what he was up to. And so he sits down and he starts to talk to me about God. And come to find out later... He was not just a high school basketball referee, but he was also a deacon at his church. And he was just out on Saturday morning visiting with people and telling them about Jesus. And he had come into my house and he begun to tell me about Christ. And I had come from a Christless family. I had come from a non-religious family. So these things weren't even on the radar for us. I was not pursuing God. I was not looking for God. I didn't have heart beating for God. Wonder how I could ever satisfy that heartbeat. And then all of a sudden there's a knock on my door. And God begins to pursue me through this man, John. Long story short, when he tells me about Jesus and how God loves me and he wants to have a relationship with me, but I've got like this sin deal going in me that separates me from God. But Jesus can handle that if I'll turn to Jesus about that. Is there any reason why today you wouldn't decide to follow Jesus, to give your heart to Jesus, to allow Him to forgive your sins and to save you? And it made perfect sense to me. And immediately I said, no, there's no reason. He said, then you'd like to do it now. I said, I'd like to do it now. He said, would you pray with us? I said, you bet. He said, well, how about we just kneel here in your living room? I said, you bet. And there we were, kneeling in my living room with my mother and stepfather looking on like, what is going on here? And I just began to pray and pour my heart out to God. And there was no question in my mind then nor in the 39 years since that Jesus moved into my life and took up residence there. And I got up from praying and a transformation began at that moment that has not ceased until this day. See, my family, I'm just sure we loved each other, but you wouldn't know it. We didn't know how to give love. 
We certainly didn't know how to receive love. We didn't know how to extend grace. We didn't know how to forgive. We didn't know how to make amends. I mean, we were clueless about all these. We were just dysfunctional. We were without hope for life to, to make sense and to be sane and for God's serenity and peace to reign and rule in our hearts until that day. And God began to work His grace and His mercy in me that day that eventually led my parents to Christ and eventually some of my friends who, upon first examination of the change going on in me, were like, what is that? But some of them then came to Christ. See, Paul is telling us to remember. He says it twice in these verses. He'll say it again in a verse we'll read in just a moment. Remember, remember, remember. You've got to remember what it was like before Christ became so prevalent and powerful in you. And it raises the question, why? Why is remembering so important? And what you'll discover is that uh, when you fail to remember your worship of Christ, your engagement of God, your passion for Him all begins to cool. It all begins to, as the old King James would say, wax cold. And so when you remember, you keep your worship for God hot and passionate. It stirs your heart. And somehow it's contagious. And it stirs the hearts and lives of others. And we also are to remember because it keeps the forgiveness that has been extended to us as the treasure that it is. Listen, when you've been doing this for a while, when you've been following Christ for a while, you've been a believer who's enjoying the benefits of God, as I said, for me, for 39 years. You can get to a point because... He's done such a work in the way you look at life and the way you behave and the way you deal with people. And, and you become a pretty good person. And especially when you're looking at people on either side of you and down here and back there. You know, I know God's been good to me, but I'm a pretty good guy myself. Unless you remember what it was like before Christ. And then you go, you know what, really, I am a scuzz bucket. I, am, I really am. I'm depraved and busted and broken. And except for God's grace, I would be like so much other that is around me. And so it keeps that sense of my forgiveness cherished and treasured. And then I'll say in the third place, why it's important for you to remember where you come from before Christ is that it keeps the glory for God. Again, after you've done it for a period of time, you can begin to look at self and think pretty well of self. But friends, self never had a chance to get on the good side of God. Never had a chance for what had become eternally sideways in our relationship with God to be reconciled and to set right. Except for Jesus. That the Bible refers to as our propitiation. And I wanted to throw that big theological word out there with you today because it's a word that you really do need to grab hold of. This word needs to be important to all of us because what that word means, propitiation, is one who can absorb the wrath of God, absorb 
the condemnation and the judgment of God. And not only absorb it, but take it away. That's what propitiation is. And when you remember how busted you were before you came to God through Christ, when you remember how condemned and how just that condemnation would be, but Jesus came as the propitiation, took all of my punishment, took all that God was going to uh, appropriate to me out of His justice, and then took it away from me? See, when I remember that, it keeps the glory for Him. It keeps the exaltation for Him. So, here's a quick little test to see how that whole thing's working for you. You know, we've been at this uh, around 40 minutes now. 40 minutes ago, before you actually walked in and sat down, was your heart just going, oh, I am so glad that I'm here. I can't wait to get in there and join with the, the chorus of others and just lift my voice in worship and in praise to God. Forty minutes ago, was it your thought, I can't wait for us to be able to say prayers together and to commune and to communicate with God together? Some of you knew we were going to be doing the Lord's Supper today. Oh, I can't wait until we get to the point where we can be at the Lord's table and receive the bread and receive the cup and just commemorate what He's done. I mean, is that how you walked in? You see, if you walked in, oh, man, I'm glad I got here. Wow. And, uh, you know, you had World War III in the car and, and uh, somebody didn't get enough coffee and, you know, this, that, and whatever. This is why we must remember. Because it keeps our worship hot. It keeps our forgiveness cherished. And it keeps the exaltation and the glory for God. So that this is a can't-miss time. I want to worship Him every day. I want to pray every day. I want to commune and connect with Him every day. But I get those rare opportunities, like once a week around here, to do it together. And when we remember, it stirs us in those kinds of ways. Now, how do we go about remembering because that's no small challenge for some of us. Some of us came to Christ at such a young age and in such a process with a godly family. It's like, I don't even know what it was like before. I just, it's just like it's always been a part of my life. If you are challenged to remember what life before Christ was like, then I'm going to make these two suggestions to you. One, see life. As Christless. Let God's Spirit that dwells in you give you eyes for your heart so that you can see it's not a condemning, it's not a judging kind of observation of others and the way their lives are played out. It's just an acknowledgement. That's what it looks like outside of Christ. That guy doesn't love his wife well, that wife doesn't respect her husband well. That's what it looks like outside of Christ. That guy doesn't give a full day's work for a full day's wage. He's kind of slothful. He's kind of lazy. He doesn't really put his heart in it. That's what it looks like outside of Christ. If it wasn't for the grace of Christ in me, I wouldn't be able to do it either. The guy who has no patience, who is so self-centered and it's all about him and so on, that's what it looks like outside. So see Christ less living that's all around you. I read a story not too long ago about a gal. Um, 
married gal uh, with a couple of kids who just had the stresses of life kind of piling up on her and, and some friends had suggested that they go and just blow off some steam and have a little bit of fun uh, down at one of the casinos. So she goes down to the casino and you know what? She knocked down a couple of drinks and played a few games, had a little bit of fun, had a few laughs and that kind of registered with her. Hey, that, that was a pretty good way to blow off a little steam. And the next time, it's just feeling kind of burdensome. And they say, hey, come on. And so she goes. And there's another time. And there's another time. The next thing you know, she's in the news. Because she's gotten so hooked into the gambling thing. Without the uh, knowledge of her husband. That she had blown their uh, joint accounts apart with debt. Racked up all kinds of debt on the credit cards. And now they're losing their home. Do you see that story? Now, rather than sitting there looking at the story, shaking my head, gosh, how screwed up. Why? How could he? Man, I get it. There go I. If I don't have the grace of Christ in me, stirring a hope that's beyond me. I read about another guy who uh, manages the estates and the investments for other people. Done it for a long time. Has this great reputation. But on one occasion, he is in a little shortfall himself and needs to be able to quickly liquidate something, handle something. So he takes some money from the investments that he's managing, applies it to his own situation. It's going to be real short. It's just going to be over the weekend. I'm going to put it all back. But the thing blew up and he couldn't put it back. And now he's arrested and going through a trial for embezzlement. We don't sit there and shake our head. Man, how screwed? How does somebody do it? No. We begin to see Christless living. There go I. If Christ is not working in me in these kinds of transforming ways. So see these things and ponder these things. Imagine. What would your marriage be like if Christ wasn't giving you grace to forgive? If Christ wasn't giving you grace to long suffer or to love in sacrificial ways, to have understanding of your spouse beyond yourself, uh, the whole parental experience, I can't even, I, I struggle to imagine what would that be like if I hadn't had Christ to guide me through all those challenges, all those times that I needed wisdom that's way beyond myself. All those times that I needed favor with my kid's heart so that when I communicate with him, there's a connection. And, and God was at work in ways that would enable that to take place. So you ponder these things. What would it be like if I didn't have Christ as I do work in my work setting, as I socialize in my social settings? Ponder these things. That's how you get at Paul's exhortation to remember well, let's get on to what else Paul said about it. Remember, we took a pause because it was beginning to get a little convoluted. And so we're going to pick it back up at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man or one new humanity 
in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Got to pause there. It's getting convoluted, right? Like, what did he just say? In short, he said this. Christ, who's not only our propitiation, absorbing God's wrath and condemnation and taking it away from us, is also our peace. He doesn't just make peace. He is peace. Now, again, we have to distinguish this. It's not the sense of he's going to remove all the turmoil, all the tumult that goes on in my life. When life's getting like really crazy, he's just, he's just always going to show up and bring me peace and calm in that situation. Now, what we're talking about is a peace with God. Because what the Bible is making clear is that while we were outside of Christ, while we were in our craziness, while we were in our sin, we were actually hostile to God. While we were in our disobedience... We were enemies to God. And Christ has so worked in us that he has broken down the wall that is between God, who is holy, and humanity, who is sinful. He's broken down that wall. The whole thing was pictured at the uh, crucifixion of Christ when the veil in the temple rent or torn in two. There was no longer this dividing thing between holy God and unholy people. And he did that by satisfying the law. He abolished the law in the sense that the law was our accuser. So you didn't keep this law. You didn't keep that law. You didn't keep the other law. So it stood as our accuser. He's abolished that accusation so that we can have peace. We can be reconciled with God. And then we see that he also grants us access to God. Pick up the verse in 17. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now you've got to let that one sink in for just a moment. Imagine that we're in ancient times where... Uh, regions are governed and ruled by potentates, or by, by kings, right? And so imagine that you come from a far-off place to this kingdom. And as a foreigner from a far-off place, you're an alien. You're outside of that domain. You're outside of that king's purview. And so you've decided you want to be able to come into this domain it's a great domain. You want to live there. You want to ask the king for permission to be here. But you can't get access to the king. And so what you might do, if you had the wherewithal to do it, was you would send gifts to the king. Right? And so if I had the wherewithal to do it, I might send a hundred camels. And then the guys at the gate were like, where are these camels coming from? Well, they come from Scott, who wishes to give them as a gift and a token of his esteem for the king. Like, okay, give all the camels to the king. And then I might send a, <clears throat> excuse me, a hundred sheep. And again, same story. This, this comes from one who would like to be a servant of the king. His name is Scott. He has now sent these sheep in his esteem for the king. And then I sent, you know, uh, all these gifts. And I sent some more gifts. And so that by the time I show up, 
I show up with some hope that my gifts have warmed the heart of the king to such a point that he would allow me access to himself. Now, this word access that uh, we just read in Ephesians is used just a couple of other places in the New Testament. And one of those is in Romans where uh, it's literally translated, we have obtained our introduction to the king. And here's how the verse reads in Romans 5.2. Through whom, speaking about Jesus, we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace by which we stand. We exult in the hope of the glory of God. So this is who Jesus is. He is our propitiation. He is our peace. He is our access, the one who has obtained our introduction to the King of Kings. And he has taken it a step further so that we are now members of the household of God. Look at how this progresses. Pick up uh, at uh, verse 20. So we became, uh, no, back it up to verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's how awesome Jesus is. He not only absorbed uh, the wrath of God and the, the judgment of God and took it away, propitiation. He not only is our peace so that the wall of hostility is torn down between us and God. He not only has obtained permission for us to have access to God, but now that access has come to such a point that the king says to us, yes, you may not only approach, but I think I'll adopt you. How insane is that? How over the top is that? That we not only get access as a foreigner, as an alien so removed from God, that we not only get to come up close, but he adopts us and makes us members of his household. You're now a son of the king. You're now a daughter of the king. You now have all of the things that go with royal families. You get to enjoy all that royal families get to enjoy all the blessings. And we just highlighted that through all of chapter 1. And so I'm not going to revisit that. You can go back and just count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Remember. And not only that, but then he has made us the temple of God. Let's finish the text. Um, verse uh, well, verse 20, so he built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Friends, you, you have not only gotten access to God, not only been a, made a member of his household, but now he then collectively takes all of us and makes us his temple, his dwelling place. How his presence will come to bear and be known in the world around us. Built upon the preaching of the prophets and the apostles that have preceded us on that foundation with Jesus as the cornerstone 
we now are this edifice. We now are this spiritual temple whereby God makes His presence known in this world. All of this moves us to a point of decision. Now, friend, while I've been talking, God's invisible Spirit, who has been here with us, who has made an appointment that maybe you were not even aware of, with us, for certain purposes. If you came in today and honest to God have to say, you know, I don't really know God. I, I, I'm wanting to know more about religion. I'm wanting to know more about God. I'm wanting to know more about Jesus. And friend, if you've been stirred in any way while we've been talking about all these things, that's God's Spirit stirring you for this moment where you would say, I want that. Oh God, would you save me? I believe in Jesus. I believe He died for my sins. I believe He rose from the grave. I believe He's the Savior. So would you save me? Would you make me your child? Would you so work and transform me that I become a part of your temple? That I live day in and day out with the hope that comes in Christ. Now, friend, if that's your decision today and you're there, you're at that point, I'm going to ask you to take that little connection card that we talked about at the beginning of the service and just indicate on there, I want to be a Christ follower. I want to have life with God. And give me uh, some contact info, and you and I'll talk about it. No pressure, just to have a conversation, and if you have questions, to answer some of your questions. And in a moment, turn in that card, and that will come directly to my attention. Now, for others of us, in the response, would you decide today, you know what, I need to be hospitable. People who are outside of Christ who are aliens and far off. Man, I've been an alien. I've been outside. I know what that's like. Would you be a person of grace and hospitality to that person? Would you befriend? Would you care about? Would you intercede and pray for? Those who are still far off to be able to come in and to know the hope that is Jesus. Would you share that hope? Would you allow them to see how it's at work in you? Would you have a faith conversation? And would you savor the gift of peace and reconciliation that you have with God? Enjoy it. Savor it. I've been reading some of these ancient dead guys uh, of the faith that have preceded us hundreds of years ago. And one of the things that uh, Jonathan Edwards liked to talk about frequently was, listen, there's, there's an eternity's worth of difference in knowing that honey is sweet and in knowing that honey is sweet because you tasted it, you experienced it. Savor it. 
Is that where it's at for you and God as a son, as a daughter, as an heir, as a part of His presence in this world? You taste it. You experience it. You enjoy it. You savor it. You have a decision to make. This is a decision moment. Let me pray for you. So, Father, I do pray for my friends in the house and those that are listening to this later that your spirit is helping to make sense of all this. That it finds lodging at a deep place in our hearts. Would you give us grace right now? Would you give us power and strength right now to say yes to the things that you're asking of us right now? Yes, I'll come to Christ. Yes, I'll be hospitable to others. Yes, I'll share the hope. Yes, I will savor what I have in Christ. We pray that in His name. Amen.